Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast, the Blueprint to Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, best practices to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. Today, we have founder of Your Potential for Everything, a strategic sports consulting business specializing in helping women and under, the underrepresented in the sports and entertainment industry gain clarity, confidence, and grow their business. Let's welcome Alex Sinatra. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, no, not a problem. Not a problem. It's just, you know, it's a transitioning time in the college ecosystem and the sports. So I try to have the people that are in the forefront, you know, doing some pretty amazing things, whether it's, uh, you know, your consulting business and putting together a curriculum at Texas A&M uh, and teaching it with a current NFL football player and trading on Williams. <laughs> so we can just dive in before we dive into that a little bit. Just talk about a little bit of your background, um, sports background a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Everyone in my family was an athlete, either professionally or in college. I was an athlete for a majority of my life. I did gymnastics, got a pretty big injury, stepped away from it. And then when I got to college, saw that there was a club team at Texas A&M and I joined the club team and got to compete and do a lot of different stuff. Had another injury when I was in college, uh, but you know, it's all good. And I stepped away from gymnastics and started coaching, but then decided I wanted to work in sport. And so I went to law school and started working as a sports attorney, sports business consultant. And uh, yeah, I like to really put athletes at the forefront and always remember that athletes are humans first, because a lot of times in sports business, we forget that collectively. Coaches forget that. GMs forget that. College coaches forget that. Everybody forgets it and just uses them as kind of commodities. And I have to remind myself and those that I work with that athletes are human beings first. So Let's really focus on having the empathy toward them and realizing that, you know, a lot of times sport is a job for them, but it doesn't mean that they have to be used in a negative way. That's a very great point. And you just, you, you definitely say that once you work in sports, right, or just how fans, uh, you know, use sports as entertainment, it's, it's the structure of the game when you talk about that. We just jump back a little bit when you talk about being a former gymnast coming up. Where did that fit in into, like, your high school or just your development as an athlete and growing up and wanting to work in sports per se? Yeah. So gymnastics taught me a lot of great skills. Being an, an athlete in general teaches you really phenomenal skills and um, being able to organize your time, understand authority, understand respecting yourself, time management, all of those sorts of things. And gymnastics is a sport that can help you be successful in tons of other sports as well. So when I got injured in gymnastics, I had to take a lot of time off from doing really anything active at all. I, I fractured my spine, so I was not able wow. to lift things. I wasn't able to turn. I had to, I had to really, really 
temp down the type of activity that I had, which was really difficult because I was in the gym for, you know, 40 hours a week. Sometimes I got homeschooled for part of the time. Like I was really, you know, I was USAG. I was competing at a high level, you know, had the track to try to, you know, make the national team, things like that. Those were some of the goals that I had. And when I got injured, right. it was right before high school. And so I entered into high school without my sport, which kind of felt like I was stripped of my identity. But I joined other sports teams because I was a gymnast, so I could do really anything. I could jump really high. I could run really fast. I had really great arm strength. So I did volleyball. I did track and field. I did hurdles. And I did cross country, which I hated because uh, gymnasts have a whole lot of strengths, but a uh, super long endurance is not necessarily like our biggest strength. So I got to try a lot of different sports and realized that I loved that ecosystem and that eventually, since I wasn't able to be a competitive athlete or a professional athlete or a national team athlete, then I definitely wanted to somehow stay in sport. And that, that was instilled in me when I was in undergraduate as well. I saw a lot of my friends going into the pros and I realized that they didn't have great representation. So I wanted to somehow help them and decided to go to law school. That's, that's amazing to hear because you, you hear that a lot when um, when there's just friends of athletes that want to work in the business or can like kind of jump on if their friend becomes an athlete. But you were you had a pretty elite uh, perspective on sports coming through if you're going to you, know, you were homeschooled. Most of the time, uh, I was homeschooled for part of it, not all of it, but yeah. And then when I was in middle school and part of high school, I would leave school early to go to practices and things like that. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very fascinating to me because we always talk about here is like using sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on and just taking it serious at a young age. Right. And, and, and to the extent of recognizing sport as a business and sometimes different sports like a tennis or being a gymnast kind of shape the the, re the realities of the business very at a very young age right when you're talking about putting in 40 hours a week as a <laughs> as a as a middle school athlete right and then getting hurt and having that that transition of finding your identity a lot of people don't really witness that or go through it until they're transitioning jobs later in their careers or you know sometimes it happens it happens to athletes when they're transitioning off of um the sport so i think that's very unique that you have that perspective and stepping away and seeing that the the void that's needed and having great representation. And there's not really a voice to teach people how to be, you know, the champion of an athlete or a service provider from a standpoint of being an agent and just the new world of NIL. Now, you know, high school kids can get approached with uh, opportunities to make money or just opportunities, prize, whatever you want to call it, and just having the right guidance around that. So that's a uh, very interesting and unique to have. So when we talk about just the NIL space nowadays, um, where does, where would you say your potential for everything fits into that space? Definitely. So it fits in, in a few different ways. So there's a few different things that I'm doing within the NIL ecosystem. And one is I'm building out a program at the main campus at Texas A&M University. And we're building a program called Amplify You in connection with the Mays Business School and we're creating this program that we're able to educate the college athletes there on a variety of different topics from NIL law to contract drafting and negotiation to marketing to sales skills. And at the end of the program, they get a credit from Mays Business School as having attended a class there. So they get that on their transcript. Um, and there's a couple different portions of it. One is kind of individually building your own brand and business. And then there's another 
a segment camp that's associated with it that is more of a, a team building, trying to prepare yourself to be a leader in the business world as well. Um, so I'm helping build that. We had our first cohort in March of this year. It was really nice. exciting. Uh, yeah, so I'm helping build that out. I'm also one of the teachers there. I'm one of the co-founders, if you will, of that program. And then from the athlete advocacy side, the agent side, the attorney side, I'm going to be teaching a program in the spring of 2023 around name, image, and likeness law and athlete advocacy, how best to be an advocate to athletes, not only in college, but pro athletes as well, and eventually high school athletes. In the state of Texas, high school athletes cannot monetize their name, image, and likeness, but I believe that that'll be changing pretty soon. However, there are states in the United States where, where high school athletes can monetize before college. So we're teaching these future advocates, whether they're going to be in NCAA compliance departments or at NCAA headquarters, or if they're going to be individual attorneys for athletes, or they're going to be attorneys for universities or whatever it might be, how to make sure that athletes are at the forefront of what they do and the skills necessary in order to work in the name, image, and likeness, sponsorship, sports law space as well. And I'm going to be teaching that, like you said, with a current NFL player from Texas A&M University, currently plays for the Bengals, Travion Williams, and he's going to be bringing in the player perspective because as much as I can understand what athletes are going through, I haven't been an NFL player. I haven't played Division One college football at a major university, right? So right. I can't really say this is what I need from an advocate. I can say this is what I believe athletes need based upon the conversations I've had with them, but he is going to come in and say, this is what I need, or this is what I don't need, or this is how I like to be treated, or this is the information that my teammates and I need so that we can get it directly from the source instead of just theorizing what these athletes might want or need. That's really powerful to make the athlete, you know, the... The, I mean, not the voice of reason, but the, the expert voice in the room when you're talking about teaching the next service yeah. providers along with yourself with the legal background, but also bringing an active NFL player that has been at that school to kind of help go along and sharpen the material, I think is extremely powerful moving forward. Because like what you said, athletes are people, right? And seeing them in that in that light where they're being able to get a chance to teach something that's very pivotal in their career is extremely important. So when you talk about a current NFL, like where did the idea of a current player come into uh, helping teach the class? Was that something that was your idea, the school's idea? Like, where did that come from? Because that's that is pretty innovative. So it was really my idea that kind of had a catalyst from the dean of the law school. So I always am trying to put athletes at the center of what I do, right? I want people to recognize that the quote unquote dumb jock stereotype is played out, right? These right. athletes are educated beyond the classroom. Maybe they didn't graduate from university. Maybe they didn't graduate even from, you know, college in some situation. They didn't do some of these things, but education in a formal sense is not the only way to be intelligent in what you're doing, right? And so for me, I wanted to make sure that these athletes are at the forefront. And so I had already pitched an idea to the law school about a class centered around name, image, and likeness and some other things, and it didn't gain too much traction. And then I saw the dean of our law school tweet something that said, you know, oh, 
you know, there's a, there's a joke out there that, you know, Travion Williams is running up the, the rankings of the law school because we're, we're rushing so quickly up the rankings, right? And he's like a, a running back. I think technically they call him a halfback, whatever. He, you know, <laughs> he rushes, right? And so <laughs> um, I was like, wait a minute, did they did they do this class without me? Like, I'm about to be a little, a little annoyed, you know? And so I reached out to the dean and he's like, what class? Because I had never pitched it to him. And I told him and he's like, oh yeah, no, you should totally talk to Dean Helgi about that. Like, that sounds like a great class. It'd be wonderful. And then Travion retweeted it and said, wait, am I teaching at a law school? What is this? Did I, he thought that maybe his agent had gotten something for him that I hadn't told him about or something. And so I'm like, wait a minute. Dean, if, if I'm able to get Travion to teach with me because he's also an Aggie and he's currently playing, is that something that we could do? Could he be a co-teacher? And the Dean's like, well, I mean, if you can get this random NFL player that you've never met in your entire life to answer you and say yes, then sure, right? He kind of thought it was a long shot, but he thought it was a cool concept. And... I reached out to Travion a couple days later. He's like, I'm all in. I'd love to do that. I definitely want to be able to get back into a classroom. Um, Travion has maybe nine credits until he actually has his degree from A&M. So it's something that he he wants to get his degree from A&M, right? He's always wanted to be back into the classroom. So this is just another way. And I haven't told him this, but this is like another way for me to like push him to like, hey, finish your finish your nine credits, you know? No, <laughs> I haven't man. told him that, so he'll probably... You'll probably hear that here and be like, Alex, come on. But anyway, like that's kind of how it happened. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And so we're working with the law school on, you know, me being the attorney because for it to be a class that the American Bar Association recognizes as an accredited class, an attorney has to, you know, be associated with it. So I'm the attorney that's associated with it to get that credit. Travion is coming in as a co-teacher for it. And it, it just makes sense to be able yeah. to have a current player who is very close to NIL. He didn't, he, he left before you were able to monetize as a college athlete, but he is so close in time to it that right. he has the perspective of what were his thoughts when athletes can now monetize? What was the ecosystem when he entered into the pros having essentially zero ability to monetize anything and to be an entrepreneur in undergrad and then going directly into the NFL space where it's all about sponsors and money and NIL and group licensing and NFLPA and blah, 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 like all this stuff that he'd probably never really understood because he'd never had anyone talk to him about it. So it's just, right. it's a really timely and interesting class that's going to be consistently evolving because every day there's something new happening within this space for good and for bad sometimes. No, and that's interesting that you even bring it up. And it's cool that Texas A&M is one of the schools that is, that is implementing the education like around the ecosystem down there. Because even you saw what Nick Saban said about uh, Jimbo Fisher earlier in the year when they were talking about their class only getting uh, all the talent because of the NIL deals and just the the whole you know perspective of Texas A&M, right? Throwing around big money and different things of that nature, where it's a lot of the players that are dealing with NIL opportunities and having service providers there, but giving them that, I mean, form of education in a real way from the Texas Law School is extremely, I mean, cool, like to be completely honest. Like, what are you, what would be your top, you know, recommendation for an athlete or what are you telling the different service providers or people that you help in the industry how to approach an athlete? Like, if I'm an athlete, what, 
what should I be looking for from an agent or someone that's coming to represent me? Like, how can I, how do I weed through the, the good ones and the bad ones? What are some red flags? So I always say that you should understand as an athlete that you're the CEO of your own career, right? So you have to make sure that you understand everyone that's going to be touching you and your career, whether you're starting out in the pros, whether you're playing pro overseas, whether you're a college athlete, whether you're a high school athlete who's able to monetize your name, image, and likeness. You have to recognize that ultimately you're building a brand and business and you have to n understand and know everyone that touches your brand and business and what they do and how they do it. So if you're going to hire someone to do all of your marketing, you first need to understand how much time marketing takes. You need to understand how to do it yourself so that you're not going to be lied to or gouged out of the money. If you know that it takes two hours to record, upload, edit, tweak the sound, and then push out a podcast episode. If you know it takes you two hours and you're hiring a professional who tells you it's going to take six, that's a red flag, right? Because if you as a non-trained professional can do it in two hours and this person is telling you it's going to take three times that, that's a red flag. They're trying to gouge you out of your money, right? And so in those situations, I always say you need to at least understand how long things take first, and then you need to start interviewing people. If you have agents coming up to you, offering you deals or marketing agents offering you deals or brands offering you deals that sound like they're too good to be true. They are too good to be true. Do not believe that they're going to be able to get you everything under the sun because it's just not true. They can't. They're human beings too, right? And they can have the best connections in the world, but they cannot promise that you will get XYZ. It's just they can't promise that, right? They right. could say in the past, my clients have gotten XYZ and I've negotiated contracts for XYZ. But if they're promising that they can do something, number one, that might actually be breaking some laws in your state. If they're advertising their services in that way, it might be a deceptive trade practice. So really watch out. But again, nobody can promise anything. You can say, this is what I've done in the past. Every situation is different, right? Uh, yeah. So that's something you need to be aware of. You need to really listen to what these people are saying and do your research on it. If you know that there are six other people that are represented by this person, talk to those people and say, what is your experience with this person? Good, bad, ugly. If people used to be represented by that person and are no longer represented by that person, reach out to them first, <laughs> right? And then have yeah. the strong and sometimes uncomfortable conversations with those people with people you trust around you, right? right? Because sometimes the people you trust around you, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your auntie are going to be like, but hold on a second. My question is, right? And you're too scared to ask that because it's just, you feel like you're going to be rude or disrespectful. But if the person is a true professional on the other side, they're going to say, thanks so much for bringing that, that up. That is something I wanted to talk with you about. They're not going to shy away from the tough conversations. That's not, that's very true, especially when you're going one to one with an agent and you're trying to find out who's the best fit for just your own thing. But it was it's what's interesting in college sports now or just in the recruiting process with the NIL and the collectives and how they're getting involved in the recruiting process. And it's like, OK, you come to this school. It's worth X amount of dollars. What do you say, I guess, to the family and how they how do you navigate the ecosystem with the collectives where it's like an entity that's associated with the school? But it's like it's also the interest that the school has towards you and you're trying to pick, you know, a, a decision for a 17 year old for the next 30, 40 years 
or have an impact on the next 30, 40 years of their career. You know, how is that? Where does that, how do you feel about the collectives in the space? Yeah. So collectives are really tricky, you know, and there's going to be people who listen to this that are going to say, oh, she's, she's being, she's being too crazy. She's, she's scared of risk. Right. <laughs> but as an attorney, I, I want to be risk averse, right? And I don't want these athletes to get involved in a situation that is less than wonderful for them or get involved in a situation that their eligibility might be taken away or they might get fined or they might be associated with something that has a bad reputation. So for me, these collectives, there are some collectives that are doing things you know, completely within the rules. The rules are a little ambiguous right now, right? So I'm all for the working within the rules framework, even if the rules framework is ambiguous. However, the NCAA is starting to crack down on this. And not only is the NCAA, but some state legislators are cracking down on collectives and how they work in each state. And some congressional members in the federal government are starting to take notice of these collectives and the work that they're doing. So while it may be working within the framework of what the NCAA has said that they can do, it might not actually be working within the framework of the law, both at a state and federal level. Some collectives are forming as nonprofits. However, their charitable purpose may or may not be being fulfilled. Because if you're getting some sort of deal from a collective and they're a charity, then there needs to be some very concrete facts in how they're using that money to support their charitable purpose and is it truly a charitable purpose or not and then if you're entering into a contract with a collective as a player you need to make sure that you are actually giving some sort of services right they can't just be giving you money and then you never do the community service or you never show up at the you know the children's youth center or you don't sign the thousand free balls that they're going to give away at their next free youth event you have to actually there has to be a quid pro quo there in in every agreement that you sign in nil but right. really pay attention to these collective deals because I foresee in the future a lot of these collectives potentially not fulfilling their charitable purpose. Therefore, their 501c3 designation is being taken away. I see that happening. I've talked to other attorneys who are really kind of concerned about this as well. And then where does that leave people who donated to the collectives? You thought it was a charitable write-off. It's not a charitable write-off. Now you have to pay taxes on that. I mean, there's so many additional things that could potentially be bad for the athlete. So right. be very wary when you're entering into any of these NIL deals, especially when you're entering into deals with collectives, because some of these collectives might also be considered operating with boosters. And then boosters are not supposed to be dealing with these college athletes and giving out money. There's just, there's so much gray here that could instantly turn into black and white with the NCAA, but even more so, less worried about what the NCAA has to say and more worried about what the state law has to say. You might be within the guidelines of the NCAA and violating state law or federal law. And that's, that is a completely different situation that you do not want to be a part of, right? So just right. be wary. Not all money is good money, 
Okay, just always remember that. Someone told me that on an interview yesterday. Not all good, not all money is good money. Some of it's bad, so you don't have to accept all of it. <laughs> That's extremely true. So you guys listening, like Alex said, not all good, not all money is good money. And with that being said, because you just talk, you're talking about a lot of agreements, right? From athletes in college to high school, looking at agreements and different things of that nature. What's your, I mean. The letter of intent, like the, this piece of paper that all these players are now signing to go to these schools with the, di the different media rights deals. Um, they're signing deals, the collectives at the same age. When do you think there's going to be some flexibility where players are going to start having a chance to have bring, your, bring yourself in as an attorney and look at the letter of intent and start negotiating that? Like before you go to the school, like what's involved in the actual scholarship and things of that nature? I mean, I think that that's probably happening. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that that's probably already something that's happening right now. Would you suggest Anytime that for a player to bring in? Would you suggest a player to uh, have a lawyer look at their letter of intent and kind of put in the right language that they want for their I, time? There? I would say that you should have someone look at the documents that you're going to be signing. Someone look, you know, sure, an attorney, but like also people who have done it before, also people within the ecosystem. You don't necessarily have to be a licensed attorney in order to just take a look and say, hey, this looks like X, Y, Z to me. Because a lot of times people have already like signed offer letters because they've gotten their first job, right? Like it's the same sort of thing. It's essentially an offer letter, right? right. I would say that if you have the ability to hire an attorney to just be there to look over documents for you and to check things and do xyz then definitely do that but also don't don't think that the people that you already have in your life who you trust aren't also capable of at least looking at things for you because the experience they have might not be necessarily in college athletics but they might have an experience working for amazon for 25 years they've seen a lot of stuff probably now, if you're having certain contracts, you want to know what the indemnification clause is, you want to negotiate the contract, you want to edit the contract, all that sort of stuff, I would definitely suggest hiring an attorney that's licensed in your state to do that. Because even if you've been signing employment agreements for 20 years, you probably don't actually know what this clause means. Not because you're not intelligent, not because you haven't had life experience, but because you have not been trained to do that. Just like me, I could not just go out onto a football field and understand how to tackle. I do not, right. I've not been trained to do that. I have no idea how to do that, right? I could get into a fist fight easy, but like I wouldn't be a trained boxer, you know? <laughs> you just have to make sure that you're talking to the right people, you're doing the right thing, and that you realize that when you enter into agreements, you enter into letters of intent, NIL agreements, those are binding things a lot of times that you have to know what am I agreeing to? Because if you don't know, that's going to be a big problem for you later on down the road. That is, uh, make sure your paper writes right. I mean, coming from Alex, the attorney, <laughs> make sure your paperwork is right. Because, I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities, right? And and that's the big thing that happens in these transitional times in sports where it's like everyone focuses on opportunity, but come, sometimes don't pay attention to the bottom or the basement and where you're like the different risks that are involved and just making sure like, okay, well, you can also trust your family and your close relatives to look at the paperwork, but in certain situations, you might have to reach outside and have an attorney look at different um, contracts, whether it's from a collective or just the school that you're going to, right? Everything's transitioning now with the different media rights deals and the different flexibility that you can bring, even when it comes down to creating your own brand, right? If you're coming into schools now, like if, if you're in a state 
where you can create your own brand in high school and you're going into the school, like what, what's the ownership of that? Like, are they allowed to use the brand, your brand within their uh, marketing and different things of that nature? So like, let's jump into that a little bit. Players and creating their own brands. Like what's step one, two, three to that from your standpoint of uh, yeah. uh, building your own personal brand for an athlete? So everyone wants to jump to getting into the deals, right? They're like, oh, building a business about getting clients, about getting money, about getting deals, about turning a profit, right? But that's, I mean, you're six steps ahead if that's what you're thinking now, right? Oh, I'm trying to secure the bag. Well, you don't even know what your bag is made of yet. You haven't even tried to sew up a bag. Yeah, like, why are you trying to fill a bag you don't have yet, right? <laughs> so for me, I tell people when they come to me and they're, they're on the non-legal side, when they're coming to me on the sports business, your potential for everything consulting sports business side, they say, oh, Alex, I want to build a brand or I want to transition into this or I want to do X, Y, Z. The first thing I say is, okay, what's your mission? What's your vision? And what are your core values? What's your mission? What are you looking to do? <laughs> right? Why are you yeah, here? Seriously. For me, it's to help women and the underrepresented in sports and entertainment gain care, clarity, confidence, and grow their business. That's my mission, right? And my vision is to make sure that there is no inequity in sport that ever exists ever again, right? Gotcha. I don't ever want there to be inequity between the haves and the have-nots. That's a vision that's really long in the future, really long in the future. My mission is what I'm doing now. Every step I take is to fulfill the mission. And then the vision is what keeps me going, right? And then my core values, those are the things for me that I make sure when I have a new client come in or the work that I'm doing, I am always in line with those core values. It's like the moral compass in which I use. And so I talk to people who want to build a business and that's what I say. What's your mission? What's your vision? What are your core values? And then when you're starting to figure that out, then you say, who are you trying to help? Who are you trying to help trying in this help? situation, right? Because people are in this name, image and likeness like, oh, well, I'm just like getting brands with sneaker acts. I'm just getting it. But like, why? Are you do like what's does that kind of work with your ecosystem? Does it work with your ethos? Does it work with your mission? I had a conversation with a professional hockey player who was extremely interested in working with this one brand. And she's not a client of mine, but I, I know her. And I was like, man, I remember hearing some stuff about that brand that I don't think really align well with her. And so I did a little research and I'm like, oh yeah, they're a homophobic brand. Okay. And she's queer, right? And I'm like, ma'am, the reason they're not getting back to you about <laughs> being a brand ambassador for them is because they, they're a brand that's openly homophobic. Right. So does that, <laughs> you know, and I said to her, I said, does that really align with what you're trying to do? And she's like, well, you know, it doesn't. I said, so then drop it. Don't try with that brand anymore. Right. Because if it's not in line with who you are as a person and what your mission is as a human being and what your mission is and the work you want to do and the people you're trying to help, then it's not going to be a good fit. Even if they sign you to a brand deal, it's going to be a terrible brand deal. You're going to make deliverables that are awful. The brand is going to be unhappy. It's going to damage your reputation, right? So that's the, the sort of conversations I have at the very beginning when people come to me. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to do it for? Why do you want to do it? Because they don't ask those questions usually. Yeah, it's like that through that that true authentic curation process when you're building a brand. Like coming from like whether it's league operations or a personnel background, and you talk about dual lane branding, kind of go from obviously who the person is, but kind of their personality and their true existence between the lines. Like, all right, what is your brand and how does that translate off the field and kind of 
yeah. having those two things combust once you play well, right? But having a true understanding of who you are <laughs> to build your brand, like what, who are you trying to yeah. serve? Because like, I mean, we had a previous guest when we talked about NIL, um, Dan, Daniel Polk. And he was just talking about, you know, NILs, everything's focused on me. Like, all right, get my name out there, get, get views, uh, get these deals. But there's like a unique opportunity where you can fill voids and have an opportunity to be an entrepreneur within an ecosystem where you're like all visibility is on you, right? Like you got uh, like the quarterback at Penn State, shout out to Sean Clifford, where he started, you know, his own NIL uh, firm <laughs> while he's the starting quarterback at Penn State. You know what I mean? Just taking those different opportunities and building it in. You know, being a service provider, like where can you lend uh, your special sauce to the situation? So I think that's a very, you know, unique and great point to make about everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's who you are on and, and on and off the field of play. Because, for instance, there's a professional soccer player and she plays for O.L. Rain. Her name is Fallon. And she's, I believe, a marine biologist by by like training. And she okay. is also a professional soccer player. But what you see on her social media is marine biology. She has like Fallon fishy Fridays, right? And she like creates these really cool videos around marine biology and fishing and all these different things. And so for me, seeing that, that makes me like her as a person and a player, right? So she can build a business even if she's not starting, even if she's not playing, right? She has this whole nother area of herself that she could capitalize on. She can create a science subscription box, right? For kids, we could have fishies Fridays with Fallon and there could be a science box. And every Friday she gets on a zoom with kids that are excited about marine biology. And she could have a, a brand deal with national geographic where she goes around doing marine biology stuff in the off season. You do not have to be the number one starting person that everyone knows at your university at a huge university who does everything, who scores everything in order to build a brand. Right. You really don't. Is it helpful? Yes, but it is not even necessary. <laughs> you can just be <laughs> on a team and, and just literally be able to like walk onto the court, warm up and then never play a minute in your entire life. And you could have a huge, huge brand. And that's awesome. Not everybody has to go pro in sport. You can go pro in business. That's fine. You can go pro in business. And that is the key. And that's what we try to say using sports as a cast. Because I feel like, like you said, I always came from the standpoint of like, oh, yeah, I mean, the dual lane branding when you're trying to build a brand off of what you do on the field. But you're completely right. Like there's so many different characters and personalities within just the sports ecosystems. And when you talk about just a college, just the college space in general, like somewhere like Texas A&M, I don't was it like 50,000 students. Like yeah. this own little like own town yeah. where like you can be, you can, you know what I mean? You could be, you could be third string this, but like have that brand identity that, you know, whether you throw parties or you're like, you start a rest, whatever the thing is in that ecosystem that take advantage of, like it's your brand identity, just kind of being understand, understanding what it is and coming from an authentic place. Like Alex saying. <laughs> and something that I think athletes and everyone takes for granted is the inherent skills that you already have, right? And like what you're doing to grow. I mean, some of the biggest videos that I've seen from college athletes are like day in the life, get ready with me. People are so fascinated with that. Sort of stuff. Here's my workout for the week. And it's something that you're already doing. Just video it. You don't have to create new content. Right. 
Just you're the content. It is unique what you're doing. There's not a lot of people in the world even every year who do what you do. It's a very interesting thing. People are very fascinated with that sort of behind the scenes content. And that's if you're if you're blocked, just start with that. People will want to watch it. And if you don't get all the views right away, who cares? The group of people that are interested in you are going to be interested in you. They're still going to be watching it. If you have 10 people who are locked in 24-7, that's better than a million people who really aren't locked in. Right. Because you're going to actually get really good metrics on your social media from those 10 people who are consistently commenting and sharing and doing all this sorts of stuff. Brands who are intelligent are going to be much more interested in the metrics of what you're getting, the engagement rates of what you're getting, and less interested in, oh, I have 100,000 followers, I have a million followers, but like no one ever does anything with my stuff because it's boring as hell. Right. right. It's exactly <laughs> like that brand engagement. No, you're you're completely right about that. And with everything just NIL related, I mean, we talk about that transitioning down business opportunities. You're operating like a real life uh, business professional. Like I mean, now we talked about it on a previous episode where, you know, and professional sports go through the background checks and how players operate the NIL space and how you deal with your business dealings is going to be another metric where guys can get evaluated because <laughs> like i know for a fact scouts that i know were going to call and like hey how did he handle this deal did he show up on time it's just even outside of how you handle things within the sport so i'm like saying that to say what if i'm an athlete and i have it all figured out that i want to be an attorney one day uh working in the space and now nil is here what would you what kind of advice would you give to an athlete that can kind of accelerate that path on becoming an attorney while playing or just activating in this NIL space? Definitely. Well, you know, NIL is for is for everyone, right? Female athletes, non-binary athletes, male athletes, football, basketball, swimming, gymnastics, doesn't matter, right? So you do not have to be the number one star in order to go to law school and then be an agent, right? It, some agents never even played any of the sports. They just had friends and they were interested, right? So first of all, I want the athletes who are interested in doing something like that, a graduate school-like program, to recognize that you're inherently valuable whether or not you scored or not on the pitch or the field or the ice, right? You're intelligent. So don't let grades in undergrad or grades in high school that might not be the best deter you from getting a graduate degree. I I was not naturally intelligent. I mean, people will say that I am, but like I stub my toe walking from room to room. I can't remember sometimes like easy words, right? Okay. So like I studied hard and athletes are phenomenal at studying. Maybe not necessarily phenomenal always at studying in a classroom, but if you're able to learn plays and just be able to memorize them and just have your body remember what to do and how to do, like you're, you're intelligent. Okay, so graduate school is something that you can do. But I would suggest before you decide to go to graduate school, shadow people, shadow people you're interested in, whether that's agents or attorneys or judges, do some sort of internship or shadowing to determine if you even want to do it. I got into law school because I thought I wanted to be a sports agent. And then I shadowed a sports a couple sports agents who were great. But the industry was 150% not for me. <laughs> I was not interested in being an agent, right? And even now I have people come to me and be like, oh man, I'd love it if you were my agent. I'm like, ah, 
that ecosystem is just not an area in which I feel happy and fulfilled. It's a very difficult place to be. And it's just not in line with how I want to help athletes, right? So I would suggest that before you commit or put the down payment on law school or before you put the down payment on a graduate school, recognize that it might not be what you want to do. So definitely try to do the research in the background research first and then make the determination. And if you can stay on and play a fifth year at university to get money to be able to go to a grad program and have the university pay for that graduate program, do it, man. Be a grad assistant. Try to get as much free money as possible because Lord knows they're making a ton of money off of you. So they owe you (laughs) as much money as they can pay you to stay in school, okay? (laughs) That's a great point and tactical steps to be able to make that transition smooth and just accelerate the process. And what would you say like would be a good... uh, I mean, from just your experience working as an attorney in the sports business world, what would be some personality traits from some athletes that might be listening and just like, huh, maybe that's the route I need to go. They could just match up their natural personality traits to, you know, just the law profession. To the law profession specifically? Like law, like law, sports law, whatever the case may be. Okay. Legal. Yeah. I would say that you really have to learn how to think outside the box As an attorney, you have to understand how to problem solve quickly and efficiently, and you have to be able to issue spot or pinpoint situations that other people might think aren't even a situation yet, but you can proactively say, hmm, I think that could be a problem, and here's why. And you have to clearly articulate complex things into easily digestible chunks so that people can understand something extremely complex, but you break it down one, two, three, four. Athletes are actually fairly good at this uh, because they have to understand how their body works from a micro level, right? They have to understand that in order for me to be able to do this, to, you know, to tackle this 350 pound human giant man, I have to be able to have my hips in a certain angle, have my feet in a certain angle, have my head in a certain angle, have to have my arms in a certain, my hands, and And in order to be able to have all of that, I have to practice that. And in order to be able to practice that, I have to be in the gym. And in order to be in the gym, I have to make sure that I'm working on all different aspects of my body, make sure my ACL, my MCL, my PCL are good, that my shoulders are good, that I don't have a labrum tear. Like there are so many little things that these athletes don't realize They are literally calculating every second of their existence without knowing they're calculating this, right? So tapping into that inherent ability to pinpoint those little issues and have a critical thinking skill toward solving a problem is just, you're going to be a step above everybody else that goes into law school because you already know how to harness your inherent ability to do those sorts of things. And And you have to be able to fail consistently and not be downtrodden by that because you might be the smartest person ever coming out of university and you go into law school, you're going to be surrounded by everyone else who is the smartest or hardest worker that ever came out of their university too. And then you're plopped back into a situation where you are essentially IQ zero. Like everyone imagines you're, you know, you're like less smart than them because they're the smartest and they always have been. Right. So you just have to recognize that failing or losing is really not failing or losing. You have to learn from that and then just move on and set your ego aside because law school has a ton of egos. You don't want to be one of those people with egos as well, because then you don't thrive and you don't make the genuine connections that are necessary. And 
I wasn't the smartest person in law school. I didn't get the best grades to get into law school. I didn't get the best grades when I was in law school. And I'm living a life that I love, <laughs> you know? Right, so it, right. I That's... got these like little emotional skills, these empathetic skills, and I harnessed the skills I inherently had and made them better in law school. And it served me extremely well. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy you said that. And that's like a lot of game that she just dropped for just, I mean, any athlete, whether it's a gymnast, tennis player, or just a football player going through and just trying to look for that next step and not really sure what it is and like where your, your skills pick up. We talk about going through the recruiting process, how you, you're continuously sharpening critical thinking skills. You're talking as a teenager to grown men about your future in, in sports. You're, you're emotionally tied to this place, but you got to critically think about where you fit into this, this scheme or this deb chart and different things of that nature you're always getting approached from different business ideas whether you're an individual sport athlete you talk about taking losses as a gymnast i'm sure you don't win every single meet or if you're a tennis player you don't win every single match and you're losing in front of people all the time as an athlete basketball player you're watching film after practice you're getting feedback and you have to continuously get better and you find out those critical points of like all right i can have all these yards but if i don't score in the red zone or if i don't make these three pointers at this point like these transition out there so it's like real cool to hear like those different critical transferable skills that athletes can possess or just be um interested in if you wanted to transition into the you know legal sector and different things of that nature so i mean we didn't get to this at the beginning but alex what would you give what would be your advice for like a 16 year old athlete getting ready to go into college uh yeah or yourself what, what, what advice would you give your 16 year old self getting ready to enter into the sports business world Jeez Louise. Um, I would probably say that you don't need to have everything figured out and you're not always right. <laughs> because uh, I was always someone that was extremely critically minded and people told me that I was always kind of ahead of my peers in school, which I mean, sure, I guess. I mean, people told me, teachers told me that, so I guess it's true, but I never really... <sighs> like notice that, but I was usually right in a lot of situations, right? Like in class, I always answered correctly. When the coach asked a question, I was always the one that was answering properly. Like I just was always right. And so when I, I started to kind of get an ego with that, well, clearly I'm always right. So like, I'm always right, you know, but I realized that, you know, other people are right too. And not every situation is there a right or a wrong in, their situ in that situation. There's multiple ways to do something, right? And so if you always think that you're right, you're never going to be able to learn. So if, if I was telling my 16-year-old self going into school or getting ready to go to university, like, I don't know everything. <laughs> and I need to just kind of be open to learning things. And just because I always had the dream to be an Olympic-level gymnast, just because that didn't happen doesn't mean that I couldn't do something else, right? I would have been great as another athlete in college. Like my father said to me, I remember he was like, well, you should think about being an athlete in college. Like you should think about going to NCAA or like something like that and something other than gymnastics or whatever. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like why would I, and I was so angry. I was like, why would I want to do that? Like my athletic career is already over. I already injured myself at 11. Like I'm done. I'm washed up. Like at 11 years old, right? I was like washed up as an athlete. And I thought my entire world was just imploding. But then I got into school and I was like, man, like I could have like joined the equestrian team or I could have like potentially been a rower or done polo at a university that 
needed athletes for that because I know how to ride horses and all that kind of stuff. I have great balance. So it's like, don't box yourself in. Like if you got hurt in basketball, but you know that a university that you might not have originally thought about might have scholarships for division two rowing or horse polo or weightlifting or something like that. Like you're an athlete. Athletes can transition. So don't think that you know everything. And if someone gives you that advice and says, hey, you should probably check out this Division II school or this Division I school that's looking for athletes here in this like other state, think about it. Because getting a free education and staying in shape and not gaining the freshman 15, like that's going to be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have listened to the advice I'm giving now when I was 16 years old that my dad gave me because I would have probably gotten free university instead of having to pay to go to university. <laughs> No, that's that's real, man. Using sports as a catalyst to a career that you can bank on. We always talk about that. So that I mean, that was great insight there. And so, what's the five year or ten year ten year plan for um, at your potential? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, at your potential for everything. Yeah. So, you know, planning in advance is is something that you want to do, but you don't want to be too rigid with it, right? So, I would love in ten years for there to be no inequity in sport, right? I would love for sports where women are playing, sports where men are playing to just be on all the major channels and you can just click through and see just as many women's games as there are men's games. That's what I would love to see. I would love to see brands funneling just as much money as they do into men's sports and men's minor league sports as they do into women's professional sport, right? And women's minor league and university level and all of that. I want to see that. I want to see a time where female athletes are not being taken from their governing bodies or taken from their um, countries and hidden or exploited or killed because they don't wear a hijab when they're competing or they speak out against abuse. I don't want to see their have another abuse scandal in the NWSL. I want to see the terrible people get out of sport that are not supposed to be here who are enabling abuse. So in 10 years, that is like the vision there is that no inequity exists, that women can just play sport and we're good and people admire us and they're excited about it. Um, from a business standpoint in five to 10 years, I really would love to see more programs like the one I'm creating at the main campus to educate the college athletes and at the law school to educate the future advocates grow into other universities. I wanna be able to build programs like that at tons of universities and really emphasize the fact that these athletes don't just have to be athletes, they can also be scholars. You can also be a scholar, right? The NCAA took the student athlete term originally because they didn't wanna to have to have these athletes be employees. They used it as a way to deny a claim for a player who died so that they wouldn't have to play a workers' compensation claim to his wife. So if they She's truly are interested right now, She's dropping right? a lot of they, knowledge. <laughs> if they really are interested in having these athletes be students and scholars in addition to being athletes, then they should be investing in educating these athletes in the things they want to be educated in as well. Name, image, and likeness, building a brand and business, being an entrepreneur, all of those sorts of things. Um, because it's important, right? Because not tons of people are not going to go pro in sport, but you can go pro in business. Anyone can go pro in business. So 
Utilize the resources that your university has. If you're listening and you want a resource program like the one I'm creating or the one that you know you're creating when you're the work that you're doing, reach out. Let's build something like that for your university because you deserve it. You should be able to have the ability to do that. Just like all of your peers who are not athletes, they can build brands and businesses and they've been able to do that since the inception of time. So you should be able to do that too and you should be educated in that way. So that's what I see five to 10 years from the business side as well. A lot of universities building these programs out with the athletes at the forefront where the athletes have the power to do what they want with their brand and they don't feel beholden to abusive coaches or abusive athletic departments. They can say, no, no, I'm stepping away or no, no, you need to go because you no longer are serving the core values of what this team is about. Man, that was a great answer, man. Because, like, I mean, it's one thing where people to speak it and talk about where athletes fit in or someone's doing wrong to the athlete, but it's another thing to speak it and live it, right? Which are your potential for everything. And, like, actually walking it out and having the uh, first class at Texas A&M where, you know, at the Texas Law School where it was the NIL and helping the next next group of service providers really care for the athlete and giving an opportunity to have current and NFL football player and Travion Williams doing that. And like you said, everyone can go pro in business. I love that you said that. And just just goes into talking about using sports as a catalyst or just understanding that it just doesn't have to pigeonhole you in one different one area. Right. And so like, I just want to say thank you, Alex, for jumping on to the Blueprint to Success uh, podcast, Blue Ship Academy podcast. And when you guys get a chance, subscribe, like this video and check out your potential uh your potential at everything.com and check out Alex and you guys have any questions, high school athletes, whether it's about trademarks, branding, different things and just need a consultation and see where you're going at in the, in the business. Um, Alex is there. So again, thank you for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, anyone that's listening, just reach out your potential for everything.com and, and we can schedule a consultation and there are a lot of free resources on the website as well and a whole podcast, a book series, articles, all that kind of stuff. So if you just want to learn first, then reach out, be my guest. And one thing before we jump off, you said something that was really important is like that you just when you recognize that you don't know, like if you can acknowledge that you don't know everything and just open to that that growth. One of my friends, EJ Barthley was on the, on the show, but just in the personnel departments and talent acquisition, it was always said that the best people in that industry are always the ones that acknowledge when they had their misses or like when they're wrong because standing on knowing everything and just in this ever flowing industry i mean it's a it's not a competitive advantage but being able to work in a team and understanding the different points and that alex was speaking about is just very important and she hit on some very very key points and like being empowered as an athlete is having the resources to be educated. So with the class that she's forming at Texas A&M, hope to see those things move forward. And when she talks about the inequities in sports, I have a daughter that plays tennis and I hope to see that as well. So continue to move forward. And thanks again for all the work that you're doing in the sports ecosystem. Cause I mean, that's what we need. So signing off. That's it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG sports group put together a blue chip recruiting checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. 
If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash blue chip academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.